Hi, it's 11 o'clock, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, uh, Celeste Stein, and I'd like to welcome you to this very, very special edition of the show. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about patriotism, pa patriotism and taking a knee. I have three very special guests with me today. Two of them are retired NFL players, Derek Mason and Chris Sanders, who both have a track record of excellence, both on and off the field. And I have a highly decorated and respected retired military officer, Maurice Clemens. Today, they will give their much needed point of view and share their personal opinions on the subject of taking a knee during the national anthem at NFL sporting events. First, let me give you our call-in number for the Celeste Stein Show for questions and comments we will take from our listening audience. Our show is heard in 216 countries around the world, and we thank all of you for tuning in today. The toll-free number you can call to weigh in on this topic and ask questions is 888-627-6008. That number again, 888-627-6008. Or you can call into our main line direct at 323-744-4831. If you are in another country and you wish to join us via Skype, you can use the Skype handle BBS Radio PR. And don't forget to also like and subscribe to the Celeste Stein Show on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Now on to the show. As I mentioned, I am super excited to have some incredible gentlemen on this show today. I'm going to start with some brief introductions. First and foremost, as we celebrate Independence Day, I'd like to welcome and salute U.S. retired Colonel Maurice Clemens. Colonel Clemens began his illustrious military career with the Army Reserves in 1985 with the University of Alabama. He entered active duty in Georgia in 1988, where he served as an operations and personnel officer with the Army. He served for many years and was instrumental in rebuilding efforts at the Pentagon after the 9-11 attacks. He retired in 2017 and has been awarded the Defense Superior Service Medal, Legion of Merit Bronze Star Medal, three Meritorious Service Medals, two Army Commendation Medals, the Army Achieve Medal, Army Reserve Component Achieve Medal, the National Defense Service Medal, the Iraqi Campaign Medal, the Global War on Terrorism Service Medal, the Armed Forces Reserve Medal, the Army Service Ribbon, Overseas Service Ribbon, Army Staff Identification Badge, the Joint Meritorious Unit Award, and the Army Superior Unit Award. Colonel Clemens, you've had an amazing career. We thank you so much for your service to our country and for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Stein. Thank you. Next up, we have Derek Mason, a professional athlete who played for 15 seasons in the NFL as a wide receiver. He was drafted by the Tennessee Oilers in the fourth round of the 1997 NFL draft after playing college football for the Michigan State Spartans. Following eight seasons with the Oilers, which later became the Titans, Derek signed with the Baltimore Ravens in 2005. He became the Ravens' all-time leading receiver with 5,777 yards between 2005 and 2010. Mesa retired in the summer of 2012. 
Again, what an amazing career. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, and last but certainly not least, we have retired NFL player Chris Sanders, who is a businessman, community activist, and known as a man of passion and compassion. He is a seven-year NFL veteran with the Tennessee Titans, where he played as a wide receiver with 177 receptions for 3,285 yards and 17 touchdowns during his career. He has received numerous awards for his service both on and off the field. And since his retirement, Chris has dedicated much of his time to working with youth and helping them to build their self-esteem, their character, and teaching them ethical principles to help them in making responsible decisions. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, I am so excited to get you all's perspectives today on patriotism and the taking a knee controversy that, you know, really is starting to now get more clarity since the George Floyd incident. In fact, I read on Twitter that the NFL has come out in condemning racism and the systematic oppression of Black people. So, Mo, I want to get started with you. When you heard about the Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, um, whole scenario as former military. What were your thoughts when that happened? Well, at the time when he did it, I was still on active duty. So obviously, I'll be honest, it, I was mixed uh, because of what I had, because of what I was doing, what I was committed to. But after stepping away from it, I, I thought then, and I still think now that it was probably the most honorable way in which to protest based upon what he said he was going to do and why he was doing it. Uh, it's the least disruptive. And if you think about it, uh, we take needs for everything. And most of the time it's a show of honor, whether it's getting down to propose to someone or even in the military when someone is uh, killed in the theater, what we do typically as a unit, as we place the rifle and helmet, we all take a knee. And if you think about it, even on a football field, you've been there, done that, or doing a PT service, when you're also tired, you take a knee sometimes to rest. But going back, he did his research. He talked to the people he needed to do. And if you remember, his main uh, input was Nate Boyle, a former Special Forces member, who gave him the suggestion, which I still support wholeheartedly. Yeah, I think a lot of people, though, um, have been rather, uh, you know, there's been a lot of mixed opinions about the whole thing and that, you know, saying it was uh, disrespectful, uh, you know, during the national anthem and, and just very disrespectful to this country. Um, I wanted to ask Derek, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I think it takes a lot of courage. Uh, for for an athlete especially uh, to step out the confines of of what is considered uh, you know what is considered a safe safe space uh, not say say something but not say too much and Colin Kaepernick at least to my um, knowledge within the last ten years he's been the only guy that has stepped outside of that comfort zone. And sort of made things uncomfortable for people, um, but uncomfortable in a, in a good way. Um, him kneeling, um, I, I felt that 
it was the best way to try to get a point across. Again, talking with Nate Boyer, because at first he started with sitting down. And obviously during the national anthem, you don't want to be caught, you know, on television or anything sitting down during the national anthem. And that's what he was doing. But then he further educated himself, talked with people, uh, more importantly, Nate Boyer. And, and, and by kneeling, that was honoring. Um, so he chose to kneel. And I don't, I don't understand uh, if you listen to his message, it was never, you know, me against the United States. It was never me against the, the, the armed forces. It was, I'm taking a kneel, I'm kneeling because I'm protesting uh, the brutality uh, within the U.S. when it comes to um, African-Americans. And, you know, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And when things rub you the wrong way or makes it, um, or, or you get uncomfortable, you tend not to listen to the message. You tend to make up your own, um, you know, scenario, whatnot. But he, he plainly said many times, this has nothing to do with the military. This is about me protesting against police brutality. This has nothing to do with the military. It's all about police brutality here in the United States. And it just, it, 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 it angers me at times that people just don't want to listen to what he's saying or don't understand what he's saying. Um, again, even to this day, uh, people don't want to listen to his message and people want to just, you know, hey, listen, it's about the military and he's disrespecting our military. No, he said it a hundred times. This has nothing to do with the military. And it just, it's crazy how people only hear what they want to hear or only listen to people they want to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, I wanted to also uh, get you to weigh in on this. Do you think uh, Kaepernick was misunderstood or do you have any different perspective at all uh, on the knee controversy? Um, uh, I just, I think, and I agree with Derek and I agree with um, uh, Mr. T. Um, mm-hmm. I think it brought awareness to, to what's been there for a long time. And I'll kind of give an illustration. You know, I remember um, when I was young, my mom had me clean up the kitchen and I would sweep the kitchen, but I would sweep it under the rug and then I'd put the rug down, but nobody would see. But until my mom bumped it, she lifted up and the stuff was still there. That's kind of what happened when Kaepernick kneeled is we've been sweeping this thing under the rug for so many times, but then all of a sudden it's picked up and now reveals everything that was there a long time ago. And I just think it takes courage for Kaepernick to really take a knee and really make people aware of what's actually going on. Because a lot of times we gloss over these things and we talk about police brutality, we talk about these things, but we never really do nothing about it. And with Kaepernick, you know, when he took a knee, it made me really listen to what he was saying. It really made me understand why he's taking a knee. And he's not just taking a knee for him just to be seen. It's making people aware that this is a problem in our United States. And if we just keep sweeping it under the rug, we're going to lift it up. And for years to come, the same situation is going to happen as it's happened in the past, as it's happening now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, also, um, so what are some of the other play- players kind of saying about this? Um, you know, is this creating any kind of racial divide, you know, between the players? Because I know sometimes things are going on internally and people think everything is fine. But like you said, sometimes things are getting uh, swept under the rug. Um, so so is there tension? 
I don't think it's really tension. It's, it's making us discuss a lot of things. You know, the one thing that I've been talking to a lot of my football players about, or even the kids that I coach at my high school about is, you know, after the kneel, after the protest, what's the plan? What's the plan? What are we going to do? Are we just going to kneel? Or are we going to keep protesting? What's the plan to make sure this never happens again? I mean, we can talk about it. We can scream about it. We can protest about it. But what's the game plan when we get off our knee, when we get done protesting, when we get done, you know, uh, voicing our opinion? What's the game plan? So I like to talk to uh, my young African-American kids at the school and ask them, what do you think the plan is? And they give me a lot of feedback on what we need to do to make this country better. Mm-hmm. And Derek, um, what about you? Have you heard, you know, what some of the other players might be saying about the, the whole controversy? What have you heard? Um, I, you know, I, I think a lot of players are, uh, they are in agreement with Colin Kaepernick. Uh, you know, I don't think there's too many players across, you know, any sport, really, that once they listen to Colin's message and understand why he's kneeling, they're in a, in a disagreement. Now, you might have some owners um, that, that may be in disagreements, uh, and we all know why, but I think in regards to players, if you understand his message, uh, then, then there shouldn't be a disagreement. I know when it all first happened, I mean, you know, you, you, you had guys on both aisles, in both aisles kind of, you know, going back and forth. But the good thing about sports is this, and, and, and Chris can attest to this, and even in the military, uh, you're going to have a bunch of people from different backgrounds, different religions, ideologies, everything else. Uh, but you get an opportunity to discuss those things amongst one another. And you get the opportunity to, to understand why people feel a certain way. And then either you, either you agree to disagree or you just try to, you try to find some, some type of commonality um, in whatever's going on. And I think... Um, you know, when Colin took a knee at first, I think there was a divide. Um, but I think once the once guys in the locker room started to discuss it amongst one another, I think they found a commonality. And and the commonality was police brutality. And once once they found that, I think you started to see more people agree with what Colin was doing than disagree. We were just trying to get the owners on the side of Colin. And it just again it angers me that it takes it took them what four or five years to realize oops we made a mistake y'all grown folks y'all knew what was wrong and what was right but it was it had a lot to do do with money and now all of a sudden Goodell wants to come out and say well we made a mistake come on you didn't make a mistake you knew exactly what you were doing you just didn't want to push the button because you didn't want a lot of fans not coming to games or not watching games mm-hmm very good point. Very good point. All, all of these great, great points. And I think it's so important to kind of discuss these issues because only by kind of bringing out, you know, other points of view, can we kind of get to, you know, what Chris was just saying, you know, what's our end game here? <laughs> you know, where are we going with this? So um, I want to also ask uh, Mo, um, what about within the military? I heard a lot of people start to say that, when it comes to the Black Lives Matter campaign, that all lives matter. And I, I think people often miss the point. What do you think? I'm, I'm like you. It's, you know, save the whales. Do you discount the rest of the fish and the sea mammals? No, you don't. Or save the trees. Do you discount the rest of the forest? No, you don't. And one of the things I've seen in the last 
35 years in uniform. Fear, people, when people are scared, they react in ways that they sometimes don't understand. And what we're talking about is not just the last 50 years. You can go back the last 100 years. You can go back the last 400 years. We're talking centuries of a DNA that has been woven into the fabric of this country that needs to be systematically changed. In order to do that, folks have to be willing to do it. And that's where the the problem is, because even in the military, now you're starting to find out or uncover a lot of the, the neo-Nazism that's been embedded for a long time. And due to the circumstances, things are being booted out and they're dealt with. And it's real hard um, when you're trusting someone with your life to have this attitude that you go along, that you're better than someone. I'll give you a a small example. Back in my second trip in Iraq in 2009, we were walking across the compound, a group of soldiers about 25 feet away from me, ahead of me. They were passing an individual and they saluted. And so I looked up to recognize who he was to determine whether or not I was saluted. I knew him. We passed by each other in probably about three steps. I heard this voice say, Excuse me, Colonel, doesn't uh, excuse me, doesn't a colonel in the army deserve a salute? And I just dropped my head and I was like, Lord, I, we did not come 8,000 miles to deal with stuff like this. And what it was, this colonel did not even pay attention to me. All he saw was my eyes and the neck, not even recognizing that we were of the same rank. And when he got to that point and started wanting to quote regulations, I just walked closer to him and started talking louder to draw attention to the situation and simple. And I finally got to the point where I didn't want to kind of lose my military bearing. I ripped off my little colonel's uh, emblem, just slapped it right in his chest and said, you did not even see me. All you saw was the color of my skin. And of course his excuse was that, you know, he was tired, had a long day. And I'm like, what in God's name does that have to do with what you just did? And so in dealing with situations like this as a whole, it's great. You know, the Air Force just came out with it, how uh, lower class, not lower class, but lower ranking individuals are unfairly dealt with judicial punishment. It's great. But like we've already stated, excuse me, what's next? That's the big question. What's next? We can change labels on products, but what's next in terms of equality? Mm-hmm. Very, very strong points. What's that? Can I piggyback off that a little bit? Oh, um, absolutely, absolutely. It's like he, he said, we can we can try to change a whole bunch of policies and do all these things, but if we if a person's heart's not changed, then the behavior's got to change. It's not going to change. So I just think that we got to figure out to change a person's heart to make them see us different. And I, I know that sounds kind of crazy because just being spiritual, I'm not trying to preach or anything, but how can I say I love Jesus who I've never seen and not love the person in front of me? The reason why I can love the person that doesn't look like me is because my heart has changed. So if we can change the heart of the person, then the behavior changes. Just like when he talked about the colonel just saw his face and didn't recognize him or didn't acknowledge him. The reason why he didn't acknowledge him is because his heart's not changed. So if we can change the heart, then the behavior's going to change. So I, I applaud him for how he handled it. Awesome. Yeah. What about you? Have you um, run into any issues with racism um, uh, of that nature? Because some would think, 
you know, maybe the more money you make or different people that you're around that you, you wouldn't have to deal with okay. a lot of things anymore. You're insulated. Maybe about four weeks ago. Um, I, mm. I dated a Caucasian lady. She's white. And um, the reason why we broke up is because their parents don't like black people. So <laughs> I, I deal with that. And then, you know, I'm at a school that I work with and there's a billionaire. He comes in because he wanted to see if his kid fit the mold of, of, of a school that I work with. And he shook everybody's hand, but he wouldn't shake my hand. So instead of me getting bitter, I chose to get better. So I went up and I shook his hand anyway. So instead of me being the angry black kid or the angry black man, instead of me getting upset, I'm going to go and I'm going to love him even harder. And that, that's, that's how we make change. I mean, we can come up with policies and everything, but if we don't intentionally help or love or to help change somebody's heart, then the same thing is going to continue for years and years to come. Yeah. Derek, what about you? Any uh, instances or have you been insulated completely from racism because of your stature? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I haven't been insulated uh, from it. You know, you get it, you get it in bits and pieces. Uh, probably not like, you know, everyone else, uh, but you get it in bits and pieces. Once they find out who you are, they tend to try, they tend to treat you a little bit different. Uh, you know, I've had a, a Caucasian friend, uh, you know, preach to me about, you know, um, everybody's the same and, 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 you know, teaching, teaching their kids that everyone's the same, uh, but yet still has a neighbor that doesn't like black folks. And, you know, if, if I, if I call or text this person, they gotta, they, they can't answer me back if they're with them. Um, mm. Because, you know, this person doesn't like, you know, the, the color of, of, of one skin. And, you know, that's just, that's just one of the instances. If you, you know, if you have kids and you look at it, if you listen to your kids very, very intently, the kids will tell what's going on in the house. Um, you know, I have a 21-year-old daughter. I have a, my son be 18 next week. Uh, but you listen to them in the schools that they go to. You listen to them and, and, and what their friends tell them. You know how the, op, the, how the households are operated within, within those, um, those families. They can smile in your face and say everything, anything they want to say. But their kids are going to tell other kids the truth. Um, and, and believe me, I've heard my share, um, um, of the truth, um, in the last, you know, you know, 10 years in regards to, you know, not wanting, you know, your, your, your daughter to date a black, a black kid at school or, or, or whatnot. So I've heard it all and it doesn't surprise me anymore. Um, and, and, and I just want to, um, you know, kind of piggyback on what Mo and, and Chris are talking about, you know, the heart being changed. Absolutely. You're right. Um, and then especially with what Mo went through, that's all about just being a human, uh, recognizing someone as a human, recognizing their rank as a, as a human. And listen, they have a bunch of laws on the book, a bunch of civil rights laws, but until we recognize one another as human, those civil, those civil rights laws don't mean a damn thing, really. You know, if you can't recognize me as a human being, if you can't recognize that we are the same, then those civil rights laws, they've been on the books for what, 30, 40 years. And it still doesn't seem like anything's changed. You know why it hasn't changed? Because you don't look at me as a human. You look at me as other. And until you look at me as a, as a human, 
nothing will change, which means you have to change your heart. Like Chris and Mo said, you got to change your heart. So if you can't, if, if we're just screaming civil rights, you know, we've been screaming civil rights and, and, and people have fought and died for civil rights. But until you recognize me as a human, that's when we start to change. Mm-hmm. Derek, I know you're not speaking directly on behalf of the NFL, but do you see the the tide kind of turning um, within the NFL after the the Kaepernick inst- incident, as well as what happened with George Floyd? You know, I, I it seems like there's been a, a slight movement if we look at what just recently happened um, with NASCAR and them taking down the confederate flag i mean are we going to see more you know openness in in that nature you know within the nfl you know are, you know what are you hearing there i hope so i, I really do i hope uh, because i said for so long listen i love the nfl uh they provided me you know help provide me with a lifestyle that i now live um hell i had to work my my tail off but that was an avenue to better not just my life, but my family's life and then my, my grandkids' life. So I, what I say about the NFL doesn't mean I dislike it. But mm-hmm. for so long, I've said the NFL is reactive. They always react to everything instead of being proactive. That's why I love basketball so much. Basketball has become a proactive um, organization they don't react to things. They, they step in front of things. They're proactive. Their players are proactive. And now you're starting to see more NFL players being proactive. I just want the NFL as a whole to be proactive. Don't wait until, you know, uh, uh, you know another African-American dies. Don't wait until George Floyd, you know, life is taken from him too soon to recognize, oh, what we did was wrong. You know, what Colin was doing was right. And what we were thinking as a, as an organization was wrong. Mm-hmm. Be, pro, be, don't be, don't be reactive, be proactive. Um, so the NFL has a long way to go. They really do. Um, mm-hmm. And until they get those owners to start thinking and listening to the players, then, you know, things are not going to change. They're going to be small steps. But things are not going to change the way you see things change in the NBA. I applaud the NBA and I applaud their players. I mean, the NBA listen to their players. Granted, they have to in a sense because they bring in a lot of money. But even with that, man, they they really listen to their players. And their players are always on the forefront of trying to get things changed. And it just seems like the NFL is just dragging behind, waiting, waiting until the last minute before they make a change. So, you know, things are changing within the NFL. I hope they change more. I hope it changes faster. Um, mm-hmm. But so long, the NFL has stood back and just hid behind this shield of theirs. Um, whereas other sports, more importantly, the NBA has stepped in front of their shield and, and, and been more proactive. Chris, would you like to weigh in on that with the NFL? Uh, we see <laughs> changes ahead, you think? You know, I mean, I agree with Derek 120,000%, you know, because the one thing that he said that really stood out to me, it starts with the players. You know, I know that we're, we're, we're telling the organization or Goodell and all those people to make change, but if we make change in our organization, just starting with our team, just say if me and Derek play, play for the team, the Titans, the change can start there. We start conversations 
in the locker room about stuff that's going on. And, and if we can just start right there, I mean, it's not, we don't have to bite the whole apple all at once. We just got to take one bite at a time. But the thing, the thing we have to do is we have to start having these discussions. And what we can't do as black people is get offended if somebody that doesn't look like us says something different. We got to educate them and teach them that this is how we feel. This is what's going on because we're in this thing. We're in this thing together. I mean, just for an example, me and Derek played for the Tennessee Titans. We all wore that same jersey. Even if, there, if a guy was black, he was white. We didn't say he was a black Titan. He was a white Titan. We were all on the team, so we did things together to get the get to the common goal of going to the Super Bowl. And that's the same thing is we got to understand that we as the United States, we're all on the same team. We got to walk together, even if we don't look, look like each other. One of the things, uh, though, that we hear over and over again, I, I, you know, watch social media and what have you. And I hear a lot of people often will say, you know, all lives matter, not just black lives that matters. And, and it's only been recently that that has started to to change in turn. Um, Mo, I wanted to ask you from a military perspective, do you feel like people often miss the point? Obviously. Um, you know, the military is just really a microcosm of society. And one of the things that I think we miss in this whole discussion is that we do need to recognize, and I think truism comes in recognizing that we are different. We are all different. Not that everyone has to be the same. And gentlemen, you're absolutely right. We need to treat each other equally, but we're still different. And within those differences come limits of understanding who we are. And I will tell you, it's, it's totally impossible to stay any two values, which at some point don't come in conflict with each other. I can say, you know, I, everyone ought to be treated equally or everyone should have, let's say something simple like healthcare. Well, someone else will tell me to what extent should we get help? Should, to what extent someone should have health care. And it's no different anywhere, in my opinion, that when we start understanding those differences, that's when the healing, that's when the change of heart can really take place. And thankfully, the military is really finally starting to, to I would not say lead the way in society, but oftentimes most of us know that the military is really used for social engineering. To, as a social test bed for things. We finally have um, the chief of a service, Air Force. They finally selected a black chief of staff of the Air Force. Well, then I look at the Marine Corps since 1776, they've yet to have a black force star general. So you look like, well, what are we missing? Have, have they not been qualified? Yes. Then what's the criteria that we're looking at for those in leadership? Right, that's where, where things need to change. Mm -hmm. Definitely, um, yeah. You kind of have to start from the inside out, you know, and um, start to make sure that the leadership uh, in place certainly is the right leadership to lead us forward in the right direction. Um, before I move on, I wanted to reiterate uh, the call-in number. Um, you all can. Call in at 1-888-627-6008 if you have questions for our guests today. 
Again, that number is 888-627-6008. And we'll be happy to check in and, and take some of your calls and let them, them answer uh, any questions. Or you, if you just want to make a point, that's good too. Um, I wanted to um, come back to our athletes here. I want to talk about coming full circle. Um, you know, we're, we're hearing a buzz that Cap could be back in the league as a backup quarterback. Um, as we all know, he was pretty much blackballed after taking a knee um, and that basically no team would, would sign him. So there definitely seems to be a change of hearts, heart on this. What are your thoughts, Chris? Um, I mean, they, they definitely have to sign him. But the, the one thing I want to happen is sign him because he's a good football player. Don't just sign him because he's a black quarterback. I mean, <laughs> We, we can't – we don't want to do it like that because if we do it like that, then it looks like we're having a pity party. I mean, we, we just can't do this. Sign him because he's going to help your team. Don't just sign him because he took a knee or he's bringing awareness. Sign him because he's going to help your team. And I think if we do it in that sense, then I think that we can really get somewhere. But then another thing, too, is the ball is in Kaepernick's court. Now, when I say it's in his, in, in his court is when he signs – is he going to sign for the minimum or is he going to say, I want a whole bunch of money to come in? So now you got a whole, whole box of things that are going to open up to, to say, okay, if he doesn't sign for the minimum, then are the black people going to say, oh, he's getting blackballed. But then if he signs, if, if he gets a whole bunch of money, then, you know, everybody's going to get mad. So I just think that we got to come, uh, come to a common ground to where it benefits the team and it benefits our captain. Yeah. Hey, Derek, I wanted to ask, are you hearing when when we might open back up? Uh, you know, it could be quite a while before anybody plays, right? <laughs> it can be, listen. I mean, um, I think the NFL, I mean, they just need to be smart uh, with this. Uh, not just, you know, in regards to the Colin Kaepernick situation and, 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 and whatnot and potentially signing them, uh, but with you know, the COVID um, going on, um, you got to be very careful about, you know, are you putting money over lives or are you putting lives over money? Which one are you going to do? Because it's not just these individuals, these players um, lives you're talking about, but it's the people they come in contact with. Um, So, I mean, listen, I, do I want the NFL to come back this season? Absolutely. Do I think it's smart for them to come back this season? No, I don't think it's smart. Uh, until they get this thing handled, uh, then they should sit back and wait. They already got the television money. The contracts are signed. It's sealed. The money's there. Um, you know, So wait and see what happens because it's not just your players that you need to worry about. It's, the, it's when they go home and the people they're in contact with. Uh, that's what what I'm more worried about than anything. Uh, Now, in regards to Colin Kaepernick, whether he comes back or not, I kind of of relate it to a a relationship. Uh, If, say, you know, you break up with someone and, you know, they don't want you back and then all of a sudden they feel sad for you and then they say, oh, come back because, you know, I feel sad for you. Just it's this pity thing, like Chris said. Do you really want to go back? 
Right. You, like, do you really want to be with Because the person don't love you, mm-hmm. but they're just sort of doing right. it out of convenience. Right. Because everyone, you know, maybe maybe the family is pressuring them to get back with you or, or, or maybe, you know, because this person has this, then you need them for this. And now all of a sudden you want to, you know, open your arms and let them come back into your life. No, if you don't truly love this person or if your motives aren't correct, then do you want to go back to that person? And that's the situation that Colin Kaepernick is in. You know, all of a sudden, I said, all of a sudden, after four or five years, it's probably been longer than that, all of a sudden now the NFL says, we were wrong. Y'all a bunch of grown men and women. (laughs) And y'all didn't realize it was wrong when he first did it. Let's just say when it first happened, y'all were skeptical and everyone was trying to figure it out. But after a year, y'all knew exactly what was going on. So all of a sudden, y'all like, okay, we're sorry. Come on back, Colin Kaepernick. No, you're not sorry. You're just starting to lose money. You see the tide turning. You don't want to be left out. So now all of a sudden, you want to open your arms and say, Colin, come on back in. Now, Colin has to figure out, do I really want to go back into a situation where the only reason they're doing it because this tide is sort of turning, turning, and they don't want to be left out. They don't want to be called the insensitive group. They don't want to be called the group that's, that's against. So that's something that Colin's going to have to figure out. I still don't think he's going to get signed, honestly, because these owners, regardless of what's going on, you can't make them do something they don't want to do. So mm-hmm. I hope he gets signed. I hope he's back on the team because I think the guy can still play. But if I was a bad man, I don't think he's going to be back because maybe one reason is he don't want to come back. Has everybody, anybody thought about that right now? Maybe he's like, you know what? I'm done. Cause the only reason you're letting me back now is because you don't want to feel left out. Mm-hmm. I go I worry, you know, even if he comes back, you know, will he be treated right? What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, you know? mean, it's going to cause people to have to choose, you know, because I, I go into the YMCA cause you know, I get my swollen on sometimes. And people are talking. People are talking to people are talking about these things. They're talking about well, I disagree about with him uh, taking a knee, and if they sign him, I'm not coming to the games. So all these things are going to present a problem if he signs with any team. And when you talk about being treated fair, I mean, is he going to be treated fair on the field? Is he going to be treated fair in the locker room? I mean, th- those are the things that you're going to have to discuss. But yeah. on the front end. If he steps one foot in the door, just say he signs with the Titans, the Ravens, or whoever he signs with, the first thing that he that, that people are gonna do, they're gonna, and it's a sad thing to say, they're gonna have to choose sides. I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. I don't think he should play. He's not all this stuff that's gonna come with him even stepping one foot in the field and not even being on the football field. Those are the problems that, that are gonna arise. So you just gotta sit back and or the owner has to sit back and say, okay. Do I want to take on the risk of signing a guy that's going to bring so much attention to this team? Right. You also, I mean, with COVID, you know, I'm thinking of things like, too, the fans, you know, the safety of the fans, you know. There's so much going on right now. I mean, you know, we don't know what the uh, the future actually holds right now. So we, we have a lot of thinking uh, to do, you know, coming up. One thing I wanted to turn to um, – I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, Dr. King, Martin Luther King. Um, 
certainly the rioting and, and what have you that we're seeing, it's not the first time that we're seeing this. And Dr. King has said that the rioting, riots are the language of the unheard. Now you all have kids and what and whatnot, um, wanting to know if um, you've really discussed with them what's going on and, and what do you want them to kind of take away from this? Because we are pretty much, you know, having to speak to the younger generations and letting them know, you know, really how they should be thinking about some of these issues. So wanted to um, open that up uh, to, to any of you um, that might want to talk about what do you actually say to your kids or, or young folks? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the crazy part about it, or the good, let's just say this, the good part about it is this. If you if you if you watch television or if you if you go out and you're a part of these protests, um, you start to notice one thing. A lot of it has to do with younger people. Right. You see a lot of younger people out and they're pushing the needle. Um, why? Because they want to see change. They want to see something different. Um, they just love people. Uh, I can remember uh, this happened because uh, my daughter goes to school in New York. Uh, and, 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 and any, anyone, and I don't know you three been, have been to New York and spent time there. New York is like a big melting pot. It's just people from everywhere, black, white, it don't matter, your religion, sexual, it doesn't matter. It's just a bunch of people there and you get to know and figure out things there. And I can remember my daughter coming home. I think it was at their first and second year. We were at an establishment here in Nashville and we were waiting to be seated. And, and my daughter was just looking around. It was my daughter, my son, and I. And my daughter was just looking around. And she said, Dad, this is why I love New York. And I said, well, why? She said, because there's more different, there are different people in New York. Everybody doesn't look the same. And when I looked up and I started to scan the room, we were probably three of 10 Black people in the, in, in, in the restaurant. So I understood what she what she was saying. Like these are these these is this is how these young kids think now. They want to be more you know inclusive. They want to include everybody. They don't care. They just want to they just want to love on people. They just want to have a good time. They just want to enjoy their life. So I don't you know we discuss it and they discuss it with their mom, but they understand what's going on. These 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds, they understand what's going on. And they are the ones that are pushing the needle. You know why? Because they don't want to raise children in a world that we were raised in or our parents were raised in. They want to raise their children in a world where it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter what religion you practice. You know, it doesn't matter what you do as a person. It's about just loving people for how they treat you. So I commend this generation of, of young people because it, if it wasn't for them, honestly, this needle wouldn't be pushed the way it's being pushed. Even with the athletes, these are all young athletes. These are 20, 22 right. to 30-year-olds. To these are not my generation. They're <laughs> the next generation. So I commend this generation. Uh-huh. What about you, Mo? What what uh, do you have to say to, to the young folks? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess since I'm the old guy of the group, um, my youngest and oldest, we only have one child. He's 30. Uh, 
it, it, but even now still, uh, he's also an EMT. So he'll stop by the house about every couple of days to check on mom and dad. But even now we still are having those discussions and those talks, so to speak. Um, and he's having a hard time even now dealing with dad. Why am I still getting pulled over? Why am I still getting handcuffed uh, by the side of my vehicle when I'm doing nothing wrong? And for a kid who's 30 years old, he's been stopped at least at least a dozen times that he's told us about for for nothing. So when we have the discussions now, um, they're more focused on what can I do to make it better. And because he was raised by his mom and dad, you know, the, the, the writing is not necessarily, is not what he looks at. He thinks it's wrong, just as anything else. It's just completely wrong. And even with Dr. King, when he talks about the voice of the unheard, when you go back and listen to that speech, uh, the other America in Stanford, there's a whole lot more to that. And so what we're trying to at least continue to instill in him is that you simply do what you know is right. And all we can do is just trust God to take care of the rest. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, uh, what do you tell your kids and the young people you, you work with, you know, a lot of young folks, what do you tell them? I tell them this all the time. And before this even happened, you know, the situation with Greg, Greg Floyd, we talk about these issues. And I talk about when you protest and you do things, do it the right way. You know, mm-hmm. what's your motive? What's your purpose? Why, why are you even out there? If you're out there just to make noise and scream and fight, then you're, you're adding to the problem. And I think, I think that if, if we can just really talk to our kids in the home, then they can, and they see us doing it the right way, then they're going to do it the right way. Because if you look at why uh, people are racist, or people don't like black people, or whatever, whatever ethnicity. It's taught in the home. You know, I, I don't just grow up being racist, and I don't just grow up saying my ABC. Somebody has to teach me to do those things. So if we teach, you know, our young generation to to love and to do it the right way, just like what Martin Luther King did, nonviolently, then I think we can get something done. But if if we start fighting with this instead of fighting with this, then thirty years down the road, it's going to be the exact same pattern. We just talked about it, but we didn't do anything about it. Right. As as you're watching, I mean, I was so disappointed to see some of the looting that was taking place. And that seems to happen every time. But you're Mm -hmm. looking and and you're seeing business owners who, you know, worked uh, by the sweat of their brow to get a business. Do you know how, I mean, I know you're a business owner too, Chris. (laughs) I mean, how hard it is to keep and maintain a business. All the things you have to pay for, like insurance, what doing that does is cut off future generations from ever even being able to think about owning a business. And that's what people, you know, a lot of, a lot of times as they're doing that, they have no idea what their actions are going to lead to. Um, or, you know, you, you have a business, next thing you know, your insurance is, you know, triple than what, what it was. It's awful, you know? It's sad because we're, we're, we're tearing up stuff and we're tearing down buildings, but we're not tearing up the hatred. We're not tearing right. up. We're tearing up a physical structure, but we're not tearing the bitterness out of a person's heart. We're not tearing the stuff out of the heart. We're just tearing stuff up. We're doing stuff with no purpose. We're, we're looting. We're, we're fighting. I mean, just like the other day on on Facebook, I happened to look at it. You got this this white kid that's on a skateboard, 
and all of a sudden you have six or seven black guys beat him to a pulp and he almost died. I mean, what's your saying? And then at the end of it, you're screaming Black Lives Matter. I mean, that, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. You know, the reason why, the reason why we have to teach our kids, we have to talk to our kids to do it the right way because they're just like what Derek said. They're 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 our future leaders. And if we can teach them how to love and how somebody treats us, then all of a sudden they make change as opposed to just talking about it. Absolutely. What do y'all think, uh, Dr. King, uh, Derek? What do you think, Dr. King would have would have thought about all that is going on right now? It's far from the dream, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. I, I, you know, it's 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 almost a sense of um, on one end you you enjoy. Um, and you're proud that you see a generation finally say enough is enough. You know, we're going to get out. We're going to be active. We're going to, you know, vote, um, not just in a presidential election, but we're going to vote for our congressmen. We're going to vote for our mayors. We're going to vote for our governors. Um, those are the things that you're proud of. When you see a young, you know, 17-year-old African-American woman stands up and give a speech, you know, in front of thousands of people, those are the things that, 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 that I'm sure he would be proud of. I'm sure his children are proud of. But then on the other end, you see the, 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 the looting and the burning down of buildings, even though some of that happened in his time as well. But that's the part that you get disappointed with um, because it shouldn't take for you to burn down a building to get the attention of someone you shouldn't feel you know you got to burn down an establishment or whatnot you understand the anger you you get the anger but what does burning down a building uh what does that was that what does that um cure what does that settle it, it settles nothing it cures nothing um but you have to be, I'm sure he would be proud that these young people, this young generation now, they're stepping up and they, they've said enough is enough. When you watch a, when, when, when you watch a, a black man die in front of your eyes, you know, for, for he slowly dies in eight, nine minutes, that changes you as a person. When you physically see it, and it's sad that sometimes it takes for you to see it on video for you to make change, but that's how we are as a world. If we don't see it, then we kind of dismiss it. But if you see it, then you want to take action. And I think he would be proud that this, this group of, of, of this generation, this young generation, and it's, it's other people, but in particular, this young generation, they are out, they're active. The ones that are doing it, you know, uh, not, Inviting the ones that are out there protesting, giving giving speeches, the ones that that are not, you know, um, going out and burning up buildings. That's the part he's proud of. The other stuff, um, who would be proud of that? When you see, you know, on one hand, you see a, a a protest, a peaceful protest, but then the cameras switch and you see a couple of blocks away, someone burning a building or someone throwing a rock through a window. Those two don't. Those two don't match. If you're gonna, if you if you're gonna peacefully pro uh, protest, then peacefully protest. This other stuff is not going to solve anything. What it's going to do is make people look at you a certain way. Yeah, I would agree, and uh, we have to really think about um, 
the fact that I think a paradigm shift has kind of occurred here. We have seen a lot more white people out actually, you know, joining as part of this protest. And I think one of the things that COVID-19 and the quarantine and the shutdown has done for a lot of people, I think people are at home, maybe they have a lot more time to actually think about some of these things or actually see things, you know, you know, we've been at work a lot of times and maybe you don't see some of the things that are actually occurring, but to actually see that in front of your, your eyes, you know, you get to more of what I'd like to consider, to, you know, man's humanity uh, for other individuals. Um, how, you know, does that make you feel, you know, and asking the question, is this who we really are? Um, certainly uh, we have got to do better. So that leads me to sort of my final question, and we're going to kind of do a roundabout here. Um, and that is, you know, what's it going to take for us to improve, to do better? What are some things that you guys, I'd love to hear from each of you um, in terms of what you think individually we need to do to start to really turn the tide um, in in terms of race in America and, and people starting to to really make a change and come together. Well, just since we're on you, uh, Derek, we'll start with you again. Um, I think first people have to be willing to have the, the hard conversation. Um, I was told something, you know, you have to be uncomfortable. You, you have to get uncomfortable in an uncomfortable position. Sometimes you got to put someone in an uncomfortable position to be comfortable in that position. Um, and if you're not if you're not comfortable in an uncomfortable position, you will never make change as a person. Um, you know, so I, I think first we got to continue to have this conversation and not be offended when someone says something. Um, you know, try to understand what they're saying and then articulate to them why you think their point is valid or why you think their point is wrong. Um, I think a lot of times when you when you disagree with someone, all of a sudden you just start ye yelling and shouting and screaming and you don't honestly really hear what they're saying. So I think first and foremost, you have to have that conversation. I think that's what this country now um, is doing. We're having that that hard conversation, but it has to continue after you have that hard conversation. What are some of the the ways things can change? What are the actions now that we've had the conversation? What are we going to put into action? Um, and I think another thing is, you know, for so long, you know, at least when I was growing up and, and, and maybe got about 60 seconds left. Mo can attest to this quickly. The people that are, are, are protecting us and policing us, in a sense, need to get to know us and we need to get to know them. Yeah. Mo, we have about 60 seconds. Can I get you in very quickly to kind of uh, wrap up from your point of view? Yeah, one of the things that I think we have to do uh, is rip the bandaid off completely. Yeah. In order to even have a conversation, you have to understand and acknowledge that we have a problem to start with. And no one, even at the highest level of government or corporate America, has really acknowledged that we have a problem. We talk about it in pockets. Yeah, we got a problem with racism. We got a problem with stereotype, blah, blah, blah. But the problem still itself is the systemic across the board uh, issue that we have, that the country has with not just blacks, but all people of color. 
when we get to that point of acknowledging that, then we can really start the hard conversation. And Derek, you're absolutely right. We, you know, we have to go from there. That's when we can have the conversations to want to make a difference. Thank you so much. I'm afraid that's all the time we have. We're out of time right now, but thank you guys so much for joining me. It's been an awesome pleasure. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful 4th of July. Thank you.